This podcast is brought to you by Future Women, a place where women can come to connect, learn and lead. Become a member to gain full access to Future Women's content and our packed calendar of member-only social club events. Join the movement today by going to futurewomen.com. Hello, I'm Brooke Boney, your host for Season 3 of Next Generation Innovators, a podcast where we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. So whether you're in business, you own one, or you dream of doing it yourself, these conversations will guide you through the ups and downs of startups, from ideation and development to investment and scale. To call Meena Radhakrishnan a disruptor would be an understatement. She cut her teeth working for some of Silicon Valley's biggest names, including Google and Uber. Meena had the world at her feet as Uber's 20th hire and head of product, and now she has her sights set firmly on the Australian property management industry. There's this whole group of people that needs home assistance right now as investment property owners. And that's really what Different, I think, is trying to do, is that like property management and the way that it's done today, um, unfortunately, has, has a lot of negatives to it. Like I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, maybe with the exception of different customers, that, that they love their property managers. Mina is the co-founder of Different, a Sydney-based startup that's using technology to change how properties are managed in Australia. Mina joins us this week to share how Different is challenging the status quo, raising capital, scaling a business, and what we can expect from Different in 2020. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by The Outnet, the ultimate fashion destination where you'll find over 350 designer brands at up to 70% off. The Outnet is the place to go when you're looking to build your wardrobe with designer pieces at exceptional prices. So whether you're dreaming of Zimmerman dresses, a Stella McCartney suit, or coveting everything from Valentino, it's all there. And right now, The Outnet are offering our listeners 20% off their next clothing purchase. Just enter the code FUTUREWOMEN20 at the shopping bag. Terms and conditions apply. Visit theoutnet.com forward slash futurewomen for more details. Well, Mina, welcome to the podcast this week. Thanks for having me. Now, before we dive into different, I I know you've had a very interesting career, including studying at Cornell University and working in Silicon Valley. Was working in startups, do you think, always on the cards for you? You know, it's so funny. I I actually don't think I even really knew what the concept of startups was. It just sort of happened. Um, You know, like I just always imagined this sort of like very corporate career for myself. And, um, And I moved, when I moved to California to start working at Google, I sort of got like introduced to this world of startups. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. I have to find a way to get into this somehow. But I honestly like don't think that ever would have happened if I hadn't actually moved to California and started working in tech. And so you started at this little known uh, startup called um, Uber. (laughs) You were the 20th employee to come on board and their first head of product. Now that must have been a very interesting role what are some of the the things that you're most proud of from your time there? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's incredible. I remember starting at Uber and like my parents were like, you're joining a black car company. This is what you left Google for. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, 
like, I just don't think, certainly not not me had any idea what it would become. And when I think back on, like, my time there, um, I started, like, it was 20 people. It was, like, thousands, maybe four or 5,000 when I left, right? And I honestly think, like, one of the things I'm, I'm really, really proud of is the team that we built out. Um, mm. You know, the product management team there is just phenomenal. I learned so much from them um, and just got to be a part of it. Like, I, when I think back on the sort of product launches that we put together, um, you know, one kind of, like, fun, silly one was... Um, we had this idea that like credit card numbers are just really hard to enter. People don't necessarily know them. What if you could just take a picture of your card and it would automatically scan all the numbers, insert all the information and just add it to your payments. And so like that was like a little fun thing that we launched. We had no idea that people were going to love it so much. And then I think like every app after that copied us. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Um, and so I have you to blame for all of those late night shopping purchases that are just <laughs> far too easy. I don't even have to enter in the numbers. But that is incredible to see that something that you guys came up with, you know, that just is a, a thought bubble is now, you know, sort of impacts the way that everyone does things. Yeah, I just, I mean, especially for me, like one of the things that I was still quite new to when I when I started Uber and I was trying to figure out was this sort of new world of, of how do you work with mobile apps? Like it just, it was, I think, you know, it's, it's so ubiquitous now that it's hard to believe that the iPhone really only came out in October, 2007. And so like the app store wasn't even there that didn't exist for a couple of years. So this is very much like dawn of the mobile era, you know, and people just didn't have this. Like I, I go back and I look at like, I think I still have my, an old iPhone um, 3G somewhere. And it's just like, you compare that to what it is today. <laughs> That's like, 10 years ago. You know, it's just, it's amazing how far it's come. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I was just, I think what's one of the great things about being at a startup so early on is that you get to participate in so many of the like really core things, like being a part of the first, um, first part of surge pricing, like for better or for worse, you know, <laughs> like that's something that like we really defined and built and came up with, like this idea of like car types and how they work in Uber and that you can't just order cars, you can order all kinds of interesting things from there. Like, you know, th these are just some of the very like early and seminal things that like as a, as a young team, we got to work on from the very early days. And it was such a massive disruptor. It's really changed the way that we live and the way that our cities work even. How did you develop that that mindset and that attitude that's needed when you're going to work and and things are so innovative and things do change the game in such a big way i mean that must have been thrilling to just rock up to work and be like hey i had a thought why don't we just scan credit cards yeah, I, I I really think, you know, um, so much of this came from, like, I think the way in which a company develops, um, the leaders really set the stage for how people work at that company. And if there's one thing I learned from, from Uber, it's that, um, you know, the question that you should always ask is, how can it be done, not can it be done? Because the default is you just assume it can be done. And really the question is like, you just think about interesting ways to be able to solve the problem. Now, it still might turn out that you don't end up doing it and that's okay. But if you sort of, if you approach it with that with that lens of how can it be done, I think your default answer is yes rather than no. And, um, and that really changes how you build companies and how you think about them and, and even just what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. And one of the things you know, that I think is really common and, you know, probably the most common attribute among the women that we interview for Next Generation Innovators is how they handle crisis and how they handle difficult things. And of course, you know, Uber is known as being a disruptor, but, you know, also in recent years, there's been all of the things that came out that we didn't know about from the outside. So the resignation of the founding CEO, reports of a toxic workplace culture. What was it like for you um, having been a part of that from the beginning? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I left Uber in 2015, so I definitely wasn't there towards some of the latter parts where I think it um, got a lot worse. And um, mm. I love the time that I was there at Uber. Honestly, I learned so much. I really had sort of a just a it was such a phenomenal kind of experience to to be a part of. Um, and I think I've, I've been in male-dominated industries like pretty much my whole life. Like my first job out of school was at Goldman Sachs, which is like investment bank in New York. And then from there, like in tech pretty much. Um, and I think that it's one of these things where, you know, for, for better or for worse, like you show up in a room and you're pretty much always the only woman in the room. Like I remember one time mm. at Google um, being late to a meeting. It was like, you know, it was like 10 minutes later, so it was a bus issue. And, um, and it was like, it's so obvious when I walk into the room because everybody else in that room happened to be male. And it just really, really struck me at that point. It was like, whoa, like everything I do just stands out so much here. Um, and I think that you just sort of have to have to take that and, and own it, right? And like, look, it's, I, I think I'm fortunate in that I didn't have some of the same experiences that other other people did at Uber. I was pretty senior. Um, I had a lot of um, a lot of contact with, I think, the leaders. I think I had a lot of respect there. Um, and I was able to get a lot done. And it really, I think, just it, it, there's there are times when in, in those kinds of environments, it can be really hard to focus on the outcomes and the work because so much else is coming at you and buffeting you emotionally. And I think that there's like kind of two things for me that I, I try to do. One is I think really staying true to myself and, and kind of what I believe, like, do I come home at the end of the day? And do I feel energized and excited by what I do? And, you know, there's going to be days, always going to be bad days at any company here and there. But Mm -hmm. I think that when it starts to get to a point where you come every day, and it's just like, wow, this is just really hurting my ability to be happy and excited in what I'm doing on a day to day basis. That's the time when it's really just time to stop and ask yourself, is this what I want to be a part of? Is this what I want to do? And then other than that, I think it's really just sort of, you know, kind of take some of those those hits that are out there and keep going. And and really, I think for me, the biggest thing is that it's hiring more women, hiring more underrepresented people, um, mm-hmm. creating an inclusive and diverse environment. Like as you start to build that out, it just, it changes the whole environment, you know? And it's like, you've got to start from early days because it's really difficult to do that later on. And I think... Um, it, it's tough when, you, when you're a small company and you're used to being a small company and then all of a sudden you grow into a really big company and you don't have that scaffolding and structure that's in place to help support a lot of the things that can go wrong when you're a really big company. Um, that can be very difficult. Let's get into different. Can you explain how it works? Yeah, so um, I think um, in, in the process of creating different, one of the things we realized is that um, people need homes, but the reverse is also true, which is that homes need people. And there, every time that something goes wrong in your home, it's a leaky tap or it's like a leaky roof or whatever it happens to be with all these brains we're seeing in Sydney, it's like, how do you get it solved? It's really, really hard, you know? And and you look at these services that are out there um, and all they do is they give you names and phone numbers and you have to go do all the work. And you're like, how do I trust it? How do I know this is right? Um, and what we realize is, you know, people actually really want home assistance. They want assistance for their homes. But there's this whole group of people that needs home assistance right now. It's investment property owners. And that's really what Different, I think, is trying to do, is that like property management and the way that it's done today, um, unfortunately, has a, has a lot of negatives to it. Like I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, maybe with the exception of different customers, that, that they love their property managers. Um, and it's like, that's what we want to change. It's like, it's, this is people's most important asset, right? Like, I mean, millions of dollars sometimes, mm. and you're not there. How do you know this being well taken care of? Well, what you want is somebody who's going to do that and going to do that well. And I think that's what we really try to be different is to be the assistant for your home. And the way in which we do it is that at its core, 
property management, I think, is about making sure that a list of tasks is done on a schedule at a defined time, that if it's not done, it's followed up, it's reminded, it's confirmed, it's closed out. And that's exactly the kind of stuff that machines are really, really good at. It's the kind of stuff technology is great at. And I think, unfortunately, it's the kind of stuff that people are probably not very good at, right? Like, <laughs> we forget, we procrastinate. Like, it's not, it's not what we do. What we are great at is sympathy, negotiation, compassion, empathy. Like, those are the things that people are really good at. And so when we think about property management, what it is, which is taking care of homes, following a set list of tasks and doing that on a schedule, the way we approach is we say, hey, you know, all those like core basic things that just need to be done on this defined schedule that are easy and simple to do, we should get technology in place to do that. And the stuff that's hard, the stuff that really needs people, it's about relationships and relationship management. That's where we really need to get people into play. So let's do it that way. And so that for us is what Different is about is a property management experience that's about being an assistant for the home that uses technology to take care of the everyday simple things. And it uses people to take care of the hard problems that only people can handle. And so did you work in property or have any experience in this area before you started Different? Uh, well, I bought and sold houses, um, and you know, I have family that has investment property, but I'd never really gotten into the into the guts of uh, property management, as it were, until I started working on different. Um, although I did, I did actually get my um, certification and real estate stuff uh, licensing in place before before we started working on different as part of actually like figuring out the right way to do it. Mm. And so, were you nervous stepping into something like this because you obviously identified that there was a gap there or a way that it could be improved? But were you nervous taking on something that you weren't like an expert? expert at, like the other things that you'd worked in? the other areas? I mean, to be honest, like, I don't think I've ever been an expert at anything when I've taken it on. Um, so, like, <laughs> like, when I started at Uber, for example, I mean, you, maybe you can claim this as being an expert, but, like, I actually, I didn't, I didn't have a driving license. In fact, I passed my driving test for the first time in my life. I've been allowed to drive my life about, like, a month ago. Um, Congratulations. So, uh, that's yeah, huge. It's very exciting. I've got my red Do you feel liberated? <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're on your piece. Um, so, like, you know, I started working at Uber, and I'm, like, sitting there trying to sign an app for drivers. And I was like, oh, how does, how does this work? Like, <laughs> I don't know how it goes. And, um, and I, I think that's really one of the, like, I actually think that's a ton of fun is that um, – you don't necessarily have to know everything about an industry when you start with it, but you do have to have curiosity and a desire to learn. And and I think like one of the one of the core company values we have is called feel the pain. And it's it's not because we're sadists. It's because when you're designing product <laughs> and like building things, you actually have to really understand how your users work. You have to understand how everybody feels in the process of it. And so like when we started working on different, started building it out, as I mentioned, I have my real estate certification. Like I would go to open homes, I would go do inspections, like and I and we hired people who are like really great real estate people who know this industry in and out and we complement each other I think because we both bring different things to the table you know it's like kind of like when you've never done something before you might come up with a completely new approach now that may not always be the right thing to do but that's why you've got people and who can help you and figure out and sort of like try things in new ways and and so we try to really delve into like everybody at our company engineers designers whoever it is like they get the real estate certification as well because we want people to really feel like they can deeply and understand this industry. And so, you know, going into it, I was just like, all right, well, I have a very general idea of what I'm walking into, but I'm going to go and learn. I'm going to do my best and I'm really going to immerse myself into it. And I think that's an approach I try to take with all of the different experiences that I've had. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, the decision to launch in Sydney because you've worked all over the world. And I'd imagine that you do have a lot of connections in Silicon Valley and in the US. And what what was the main driver 
Yeah. Um, so, okay. So I have to rewind a little bit back in time to, to when we actually were thinking about starting a company. So, um, so Ruin, my husband and I, we knew we wanted to start a company. We just didn't know what it was going to be. We didn't know where it was going to be. Didn't know what was going to happen. So we got married in San Francisco. We sold our houses um, and everything that we owned pretty much. And we packed a suitcase each and said, hey, you know what? We're going to go traveling around the world for a year. And at the end of this year, we're going to figure out what we want to build and where we want to build it and what we want to do. We have this we have this Google Docs, this long list of startup ideas, most of which are just terrible and nobody should actually build. Um, and, you know, we, we kept coming up with these ideas. And then when we came up with different, um, we actually happened to be in Australia at the time visiting my in-laws. And it was like, whoa, this is such a common problem that so many people here face. And, and one thing that was really important to us in the kind of company we wanted to build is that it should be a consumer company. It should be something that impacts and affects ordinary people. And as we were looking at the market in Australia, it was like, wow, this is like 10% of all Australians. It's like, mm. it's police officers, it's teachers. It's not like, you know, incredibly rich people. It's just kind of normal everyday people. And we're like, we just believe that we can do this in a much better way. Mm. Um, and because I think there was just this like really broad market in Australia that we felt like could could, would be willing to try something new, it seemed like a great place to start. And we were very open to starting somewhere new and trying new things. One of the unique elements of different and something that's sort of unheard of in the property management industry is to have an app. And I imagine that this is quite specific custom technology. And, you know, I'm guessing that it was very expensive to build as well. So why did you prioritize having an app? Yeah. And, you know, the apps are very important in that they're the ways in which our owners and our tenants um, work with us. Actually, where we spend the majority of our time is all the stuff that people don't see. Because it's like, at the end of the day, like an app is just like press a button. But when you press the button, something needs to happen. Right. And it's like it's the the way it should feel is it's like the same thing. It's like I think one of the really magical things about Uber, right? You press this button and this car comes to you and picks you up and it just takes you to wherever you want to go and you get out. And in order for like because that feels so simple and it feels so easy, it's because there's all this stuff happening behind it that you don't have to know, that you don't have to think about. And I think it's the same thing that we, it's the approach we try to take it different as well, right? You press, as, a, as a tenant, you press a button to record a maintenance request. The whole point is that you press that button and like all this stuff should just happen. It should automatically get approved and assigned and sent to somebody and they should be following up and come through and then like they should just show up at your house and fix the problem. And it's not 100% all that way yet. Like there's still more work to do, right? But like that's the idea. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it's not an easy thing to do, but we really feel like the way what you need to solve this is you have to own that whole transaction from start to finish. And the only way you can do that is by owning the 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 side that the, the tenant sees and the owner sees and everything in between and just make that make it completely seamless. And make it just seem like you press a button and someone's there to fix a hole in a wall and exactly. there's nothing in between it. Exactly. And and that's I think that's the that's the experience we, we always try to create. Now you raised three and a half million dollars in a recent funding round. What advice can you share about how to make a successful pitch to investors? Mm. I think the first and most important thing is to actually ask yourself the question of do you want investors and do you want venture capital? Because the kind of businesses that um, can and should get venture capital are, are are very different than businesses who who shouldn't get venture, and it's not it's not the right decision for everybody. I, I don't think that um, how much venture capital investment you have is in any way an indicator of the value or worth or success of your company. Can you explain what the difference is between you know um, venture capital and investors? 
Yeah. So when I think, when I say investors, I typically sort of use them kind of interchangeably. Um, so like, you know, there's, there's angel investors who are people who are generally wealthy, who will like put some money into your company. They're not necessarily going to be as involved deeply on a day-to-day basis. Otherwise you have like institutional investors, like venture capital firms who are like typically firms where they, what they do is all the time is invest in companies. Um, and they typically tend to put in um, larger check sizes. And also they will take a more active role in the management of your company, typically through a board seat or something like that. So, um, you know, the the kinds of companies that I think you should get, like when you, when you start to take venture funding, um, like the the economics of venture capital, right? Or they accept, it's kind of way, it's kind of like, it's kind of like mu- the music industry where it's like you accept that most companies are, are not going to be anything. There's some number of companies that might be moderate successes and there's going to be very few companies that are like out of this world successes. And the companies that you're looking for are the, are the out of the world successes, right? The, the Ubers of this world, like that's what people are trying to invest in, but they recognize that the vast majority are not going to be there. And the kinds of decisions that you make about how you grow your company and, um, you know, the, the, the strategy that you pursue is going to vary depending on, like, the kind of company you want to build. Like, you don't want to be a moderate success. You actually want to be a really big success, right? Now, mm-hmm. you don't aim for moderate success for the most part. You aim for, like, out-of-the-world success. And if you don't quite get there and you get to moderate success, well, then that's not so bad. And so I think that it's really important as you think about um, – if you if you do decide to take venture capital money that the way to think about it is that essentially you're adding you're adding fuel to a fire, right? Like that you've got something that's growing and it's growing really well. And that if you just throw more money at it, it's gonna grow even bigger and even faster. Right. And like I'm I'm grossly simplifying here for the for the purposes of this. But like to me, I think that's what venture capital money is about, is about adding fuel to a fire. It's not about trying to create something small. And so I think that in terms of thinking about your pitch, like the the way you want to explain it and sell that story is to really show growth and to show like, hey, this is how people are responding to this. This is how people are willing to be a part of it. And and you also want to show that not just in a way where it's like, hey, you're just throwing money at it to get growth. You also have to build it sustainably. And it's both of those things, which is that you can throw money at the problem and you can make it be really big. It can be like an out of this world success. And at the same time, you can do that and really actually make it sustainable for the long term. And so that's the way that I think about like, how do you present um, present your business and pitch to investors is that you have to tell a story. You have to tell a story about how this is going to be a really big out of this world success and why your team is the right team to do it and why now is the right time to do it. And so when you made the decision, why did you go with doing that sort of pitch rather than, you know, just adding a whole bunch of fuel to the fire? Uh, well, I mean, to, to add fuel to the fire, you have to have money <laughs> already. Um, and I think for us, it was it was two it was two things. Um, we decided to go down the venture capital route, not not just because you know money is certainly part of it, right? Like you do you you do need if you're going to grow quickly, you have to be able to spend money in order to be able to do that, and you have to continue existing. But I think for us as well, um, you know, both Ron and I are I, I, well, I anyway, I'm, I'm quite new to Australia. While Ron's Australian originally, hasn't been here for a long time, and there are a lot of relationships and a lot of um, conversations conversations with partners that um, having having strong investors on our on our board really enabled us to to put into place, which I don't think we would have had access to otherwise. Mm-hmm. So that's a big part of it too. So Different currently has a presence in New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland. What's your approach to, to scaling the business throughout Australia? 
Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that we really try to think about, right, is that there's certainly like individual legislations that apply differently in these areas. But for the most part, the workflows and how things lay out is is the same. Like it doesn't matter whether you've got like a, a leaky roof in, in Queensland or Victoria or New South Wales, like you still have to get it fixed, right? So the way in which we try to build our systems and our teams is that we um, really have teams that think Australia-wide and we have teams that have best practices that are built in that way. So as we expand into new cities, really the focus for us is like, what are the things that we really need to enable that are very local in that area? So we hire local people. I think that's really important because they have to have a strong understanding of the market, of the neighborhoods, and of the way in which people um, work and think. And then the second thing is that we actually build out a really strong database of tradespeople throughout all of these different areas. And it's that combination where it's like we bring best practices across all of the states so that people are learning from each other and providing things in a high quality level of service way, and that you bring that local knowledge knowledge through like people who know the area really well um, and integrate them together. And so how do you come across the tradies or, you know, all the local people and, and what if they're not available in the area? Do you just keep searching until you find the right person? Yeah, it's a mix of people. And it's not just about having one, right? The way that we think about our system is that actually everything in our system is broken out as, as data. Like that's a really important part of what we do. So every place we go into, we start we start out by actually defining all of what we call service zones, but like neighborhoods or regions in every area. So for example, in Sydney, like there's a city and there's eastern suburbs and there's the west and the inner west. And so we think about all of those places. And then we work towards building a database of um, tradespeople in those areas from a mix of different things. We Because we have local agents as well, like we have really good recommendations um, from that list. Um, we also have recommendations from our owners and from other people that we've worked with. And then we continue to work and like basically onboard great tradies into our system. And I think one thing that's really important for us is that, um, you know, we, we give jobs to people and we're measuring the quality of, of how those jobs actually go. So we can we can say with a level of certainty that I don't necessarily think most people have, like this tradesperson does this particular type of job really well. They attend on time. On average, they quote, um, you know, at levels within benchmarks. And when they ultimately invoices, they actually invoices at fair rates in comparison with everyone else. And you can say that with really qualitative, with quantitative data. And then we saw, we are also working on getting more qualitative data in, which is like, hey, as a tenant, how did you feel about this? How did this work for you? Where did that go? What was the level of communication like? And so you can bring those two things together to really be able to assess um, you know, how good someone is at what they do. And, and I think for us also, one thing that's really important is we don't make our tradespeople download apps or like log into systems because we don't want to disrupt their flow. They're, mm-hmm. they're used to working with like text and email and phone. And we make that really simple for them. And I, I think that's really key is, you know, good products aren't about making people change how they work. They're just about fitting in really neatly and easily with how people already work. And so where to next for different? Are you? How do you get bigger in Australia? Do you have plans to, to go and take this international? Yeah, absolutely. So we are going to be expanding out um, in Australia as well. Um, we'll be coming to Canberra soon, so look out for us there. Um, and probably also to Perth uh, a little later in the year. Um, and then the plan for us is also to go internationally into into the U.S. Um, so obviously that's a market that both Rune and I know really well. Um, and we have ideas about um, the right approach there. And we think that the systems and technology that we've built actually um, work really well with the U.S. as well. Um, we're creating something a little bit different, <laughs> for, for <laughs> no pun intended. Um, and uh, and we've got some, um, we're actually working to to hire a great person to lead out our, our U.S. efforts as well. But that's definitely on the cards for us this year. Now, you mentioned your husband there, who is your co-founder. Mm-hmm. Was there any trepidation about working together? What, what do you, how do you approach that? 
because I imagine it's difficult sometimes if you're having a disagreement in your personal life not to bring that to work or vice versa, <laughs> you know, and, it, and it, it happens, you know, you're only human, right? Yeah. I think one thing that works really well for us is that um, our skill sets are very different. So like we're, we're good complementary business partners and the way that we split up the business is that we own like kind of like we own different areas and we're very much the owners of those areas. We make the ultimate decisions there. And when it comes to kind of high level business strategy, those are always decisions that, that we make together. Um, so I think there's a little bit of like, oof, never done this before, don't know how it's going to go, but it's worked out really well for us. You know, I mentioned that after we got married, we, we went traveling for a year. It's like when you have to live in hotel rooms, <laughs> for yeah, a year exactly. with somebody like you get to know them really really well I think it's great <laughs> practice for starting a business together because like you're in this like random place where you don't know anyone and you have to find a way to like keep on enjoying the the journey because like well we've got the rest of our lives ahead of us we'd, we'd better make the most of this well, that should be like a, a mandatory test for couples like go on a trip together alone for a year and if you survive that then yes please go ahead and get married and start a business together. Yeah, and have a child and everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the child, you're a new mum. Yeah. How, how are you managing um, everything, you know, work, marriage, new mum? Is it, did it change the, anything for you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think my experience is a lot of, of mums will, will feel this way where it's just like it, it changes your your decision around priorities, right? Mm. Like, and and how you spend your time. You want to make sure that every moment is is really well spent, um, because that's that's like you know the, there is this feeling of guilt, like oh I'm working on this thing and like I'm away from my child and like what's he doing without me, you know? Um, and so you just want to make sure that that when you're away at work, like you're really spending that time well. You just, you can't be sitting around like you know faffing the day away. And um, I think like there's a couple of things that make, make our lives a little bit easier. One is we're, we're in a very fortunate position where we can sort of engineer our lives a little bit to be flexible around time, mm. right? Like we move the office next door to our house. Like that makes life a lot simpler. Yeah. Um, uh, when your commute isn't isn't there, you know, step in like, you know, two minutes here and there and just like say hi and have fun with have fun with your child. Um, and then I, I think the other big thing is that just like it's making this very clear separation. It's like, hey, this is home time and this is work time. And, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm not going to like when I when I leave the office around seven ish or whatever, like that that next couple of hours, like I'm not available unless like the world is falling down because like that's time that I get to spend with my son and it's really quality time and you know we put him to bed and we read books together and we like have dinner together and like that's that's a really important thing and I think it's it's about the quality of time that you spend with people. What was the best piece of advice that you were given before you started different? Ooh, oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it was that try to focus on what the the outcome is. Like it's it, we're we're in a really tough, challenging industry where there's a, it's not just about software. There's a lot of real world stuff that needs to happen. There are homes that people need keys to that you have to get into and like start to do things with. And and I think that the 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 key thing that that people that that as I was talking to people that really came for me is, you know, if you focus on doing the right thing by by owners and the right thing by tenants, like not it's not just one or the other, and the right thing by tradies, like ultimately the business you create is going to be something that just generates a lot of like trust and care, and and that's what will keep you going. It's mm -hmm. like you know you have to focus on on who your users are, and like it's true I think in a lot of industries, but especially like with 
dealing with people. Like we're still in a, in a, in a people situation at the end of the day. You're dealing with homes. You're dealing with owners. You're dealing with tenants. You're dealing with stuff that's very core to, to people's kind of like emotions. And, um, and I think just trying to keep that in mind as we, as we try to build stuff. Like I just fundamentally don't believe, I think a lot of people look at technology and think it's dehumanizing. I actually think technology is great because it's humanizing. I think it, it, it smooths, it smooths discussions. It makes things so much easier. It keeps things in one place. It just makes it clear and transparent. And, and that's what ultimately allows you to create a great experience for users. I've received emails from property agents before as a renter. And, you know, I can't be sure that they are actually human. So <laughs> I don't know that it could be that dehumanizing. Now, what's on the horizon for you and different in 2020? Well, I mean, I think for the company, definitely like we're, we, we've been in a period of unprecedented growth, which is a great thing. Um, We're really happy to see that continuing. Definitely expansion out into, as I mentioned, um, Canberra and and also in Perth and then into the U.S. as well. So we definitely want to do that. Um, And then I think the the really kind of core thing for us is that we continue to grow our team here in Sydney and across in our other offices as well. And we, we want to keep having this culture of people who just are really want to create a great experience for people in their homes. And and I think we've got just a ton of ideas about how we can make that successful, not just for investment property owners, but also for many other people as well. I think anyone who lives in a home can take advantage of the services that we have. And we really want to deliver on this idea that we can be the assistant for the home. You know, it's starting today with investment properties, but really getting to a place where for anyone, anywhere. That is such a great idea. Thank you so much for joining us this week. You have been excellent. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That was the impressive Meena Radhakrishnan, the co-founder of the Australian property management startup Different. We'll be taking a short break from Next Generation Innovators as we prepare for season four. So make sure you have a look through our episode catalogue and catch up on the ones you've missed. While you're at it, don't forget to rate and review. We'll be back again soon. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by The Outnet. The Outnet is where you'll find designer pieces for up to 70% off. Build your wardrobe with staples from Gunny and Sandro, as well as statement pieces from Diane von Furstenberg and Valentino. Right now, The Outnet are offering our listeners 20% off their next clothing purchase. Just enter the code FUTUREWOMEN20 at the shopping bag. Terms and conditions apply. Visit theoutnet.com forward slash futurewomen for more details.